God, tonight we, uh, we come before you and we, we open ourselves to you to speak to us, God. May you speak in your name. Amen. As I think about Christmas and uh, think and look forward to the season and, and, and Christmas coming in like two weeks, which is crazy, that's that, that far off. I, you know, I'm kind of, I have this thought in my head and the thought simply is this, that it's incredible how far we've come from that, you know, 4 BC, you know, when, when Jesus was born and 2018 here in Port Alberni. You think about how far we've come and how far things have changed. You know, I would say and suggest for you today that, that the, the, the modern day nativity, this nativity set, this, this inclusion of Jesus, that it's something that's really just an add-on to the Christmas as we know it. And maybe not even an add-on for many people. The significance, the personal relevance of the birth of Jesus is something that for most people today, it's, it's not even on their radar. Is that fair to say? How far we've come from this original event that happened to where we are today. I'm playing with my guitar pick, I'm going to put that down. And, you know, that being said, still in our culture, whether it's through Christmas cards or, you know, a Christmas carol or movie or maybe just the traditions, people still have this recognition that, that Christmas is about this baby Jesus. So they may not celebrate it. They may not know it really. It doesn't have a deep significance or personal significance, but, but, they, but they know about it. And tonight, I, would, I want to propose to you that I think that, is, that might actually be part of the problem of people and why they don't understand and experience who Jesus is. And part of the problem is this. It's kind of like um, getting a flu shot. You know what happens when you get a flu shot? You get just a little bit of the real virus, right? So instead of giving you the full-on thing, they give you just a little bit so that your body can build up this immunity. And, and you know what I think, and I want to propose tonight, that, that Christmas and Jesus and the birth of Jesus and the way that people experience this is kind of like that flu shot. For most people, they get just a little bit. And truthfully, it's a just enough to inoculate them to the real truth and meaning of Christmas and who Jesus is and was and what he wants to become and do in them. This special story, this, this Christmas story, this, this, this story of a baby coming to earth, it's not the full story. And people get stuck and that's all they see and it's all they know. See, the truth is that if we take the Christmas story and, and we just see it and, and people only just see this, oh, it's just about the birth of Jesus or it's just about Easter and him dying on the cross and they only see these little pieces. What happens is that it gets separated from this whole picture, the whole story of God and what he is doing and what he is intended. See, the problem is that this Christmas story, this story of Jesus' birth, it's not something that we're supposed to just take out of the box in December and put back in the box in January. It's not supposed to be something that we just celebrate for one month and then put away for the rest of the year. 
See, it should be just as acceptable for me to preach a sermon in mid-July on Luke chapter 2 as it is any other month of the year. But the truth is, if I did that, oh, it fell asleep. You want to skip it? Give me one second. See, the truth is, if I did that, if I preached a sermon on Christmas in the middle of July, what kind of looks would I get? What do you think? Yeah, you'd be like, uh, what, what month is it? Like, whoa, whoa uh, Dave, you got it wrong here, right? You know, the truth of it is, we kind of have this thing in church, like, you're not really supposed to start preaching about Christmas and the birth of Jesus until we put our Christmas lights up. And, and the problem is, we've bought into this deception that the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, is first of all simply this. And this is a deception. It's not true, but that it's actually just a Christmas story and that it's an isolated story. That it's something that's just for this one time a year where we're supposed to pull it out of the box, celebrate it, rah, 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 and then put it away. But the truth is, that's not accurate. I mean, the funny part is, it's generally believed that Jesus was actually born somewhere in the month of September, not December. Go figure. And that time frame, it comes from different biblical passages, uh, the number of feasts, the festivals, what was going on. The, the actual celebration that we do today, just a real short, small history lesson, um, actually didn't start until 440 AD. So 440 years after Jesus' birth was where the celebration of Jesus' birth started happening on December 25th. It was actually a pagan celebration, and it was something that they did, uh, the church did, because they wanted to re- redeem and restore and recognize Jesus and, and do that. So it wasn't a bad thing. I'm not saying it was a pagan holiday, anything like that. Um, but it wasn't just this one day, and it wasn't just something that was supposed to be. They never actually even celebrated it before 440 AD. The birth of Jesus, it wasn't a thing. It was an everyday, all-of-life thing. And, the, and so what we see in Scripture is not just, and what we see in the early church wasn't just this once-a-year celebration of the birth of Jesus. It was actually something that was part of this big picture. And so what I want to do with my time that I have left this evening is I want to show you and talk through some of the major themes, the chapters, so to speak, in God's story. And what I want to do is I want to show you how the birth of Jesus, this thing that we're celebrating this Christmas, this time of year, how it fits into God's story. Where we can see that it's not just this isolated event or this thing we're supposed to celebrate, but it has this incredible implications and practical peace that it can do for us for all of, you, all of the year. So um, I'm going to just give you a really quick over, overview and overall look at the story. And then we're going to look at specifically at three of the different chapters or three of the, of the different parts of the story and how they fit in the birth of Jesus. Uh, for some of you here this evening... Uh, you're going to hear this, and it's going to be like, yeah, I know this all already. And uh, so that's why you've got a drink in your hand, and you're comfortable, and uh, you can just kind of enjoy. Uh, 
as you're doing this, make sure, you know, as you're, if you do nod off while I'm preaching here, um, dreaming of your shortbread cookies and your eggnogs, uh, try not to drool, uh, talk in your sleep, or bother your neighbor. So, um, here we go. So the story of God is kind of broken down into these 12 pictures, these 12 chapters, so to speak. We see the creation. We see the fall, the promise, the preparation, the rescue. We see the church being born. We see the rapture, the tribulation, the return of Christ, the millennium, the judgment, and the recreation. I'm whipping through this. This is like, well, you know what? Truthfully, all of this, you can read all of this yourself. It actually is in that 66 books in that Bible that we carry around. All of this story is found in that book. All of these chapters are found in that book. You have it. You can read it. On your phone, on whatever. Um, and this story, God's story, it's essential for understanding what, God, what goes on in this life and for understanding events that happen in this life. We have to see this bigger picture. What makes this story so interesting is that we are living in this story. This is not some story that's sort of happening. We're part of this story, part of God's story. We fit into these chapters. And, and this story is not complete yet. It's still going on. And the birth of Jesus is one of the things that happened in this story. So I'm going to chew into the, really quickly, um, in our time left, these three of the chapters. The three, and I'm going to start with the first one. <clears throat> Chapter one of the story is what we call creation. So creation, the Bible outlines the process of creation and acknowledges the triune God as the creator of the universe. The totality of existence, the planets, the stars, the galaxies, intergalactic space, as well as all matter and energy. He has also declared God is create the creator of all living beings. Birds of the air, fish of the sea, creatures that move along the ground, livestock, animals. And he's acknowledged as the cre creator of human life, both male and female. See, why this is important is if we don't know this part, that all of life is created by God, then the rest of it doesn't make sense. It all starts here. God is the creator of all of life. This part of the story tells us where things come from, where they came from. The visible, the tangible, the things that we can touch, but also the invisible things. In Colossians chapter 1, it says, For in him, in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Everything that you can see or touch, everything you can't see, the invisible, all of it was created through Jesus for us. All of it. In the book of Genesis, in that first book, we're told that God created the first male and the first female. God created them in his own image to be like him. In chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, it says this, And God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. Your life and my life, every living 
person started here. All of our origins, all of life started with this creation. And the end of this creation account that we see in Genesis, it says this, Then God looked over all he had made, including the first two human beings, and he saw that it was very good. Everything was very good. Now when God looks at the world today, what do you think? Does he still look at it and say it is very good? What do you think God sees? What does he think? What do you think? What does he think? Sin. Yeah, man, it is a broken world. Is that true? It, is, it what it was, is it what he originally intended it to be still? So what changed? How do we get from Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, where we're created in God's image to be like him and everything is very good. How do we get from that to school shootings and war and violence like we see all around us today? How did it happen? And it's quite simply the fall. The second chapter is simply this. The fall, the transition of the first humans from a state of innocent obedience. So there was just this innocent obedience to God to a state of guilty disobedience to God. The fall leaves humankind in a state of depravity. That is, possessing a wicked and deceitful heart, a self-absorbed nature, and a mind that naturally rebels against God. This influences all human behavior to varying degrees. The fall corrupted the entire natural world, including human nature, causing people to be born into original sin, a state that alienates them from God and leaves them eternally separated from Him. Church, this is bad news. This is bad news. But it explains how we got where we are today. How we can account for all of the darkness, all the evil, all the brokenness in the world today. How I can account for the darkness in my own life. The brokenness in my own life. It all points back to this. To this fall. I'm not going to read through the whole account this morning. But simply want to say... This is the only reasonable explanation that we have that makes sense of the evil in the world today. That we live in a broken, fallen world. It answers that question. Why does a man cheat on his wife? Why do we slander each other? How come little, innocent children lie? Maybe not your kids, but my kids. Why does a baby cry until it gets its own way? Why do government officials act in a corrupt manner? Why does a successful lawyer who's married to a beautiful wife look at pornography on the internet? Why do people drive when they're drunk? Why do churches split? Why do students students bully each other? Why do genocides happen? And on and on. Why, why, why? And we talked about why a couple weeks ago, actually. At the core of all of this, you know, what are we going to say? How do we answer this? And the answer is simply this. In this great, in this overall picture, it's all about the fall. It's because of sin. 
because we of this original sin that happened that we are broken and that we're separated from God. It all started with Adam and Eve, but it's never been the same since. In Romans chapter 5, a guy named Paul wrote these words. He said, you know the story of how Adam landed us in this dilemma we're in? First sin, then death, and no one exempt from either sin or death. That sin disturbed relations with God in everything and everyone. I just want you to hear that. That sin, that fall, it disturbed relationship with God in everything and everyone. But Adam, who got us into this, also appoints ahead to the one who will get us out of it. Here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did it wrong and got us all in this trouble with sin and death, another person, Jesus, did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong, and one man said yes to God and put many in the right. All of us were affected because of that rebellion of Adam and Eve and that sin, that initial sin. But all of us similarly have been affected by God, by Jesus, and what he did and he chose. In Psalm 51, 5, David the psalmist wrote these words as he reflected on his his affair that he'd had and uh, the murderer that he had caused of Uriah, one of these other men, the, the, the husband of the person he was having. And he wrote these words. He said, For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, I was born a sinner. You might not drive a Harley tonight, but you were born to be wild. Not in a good way. It's not only true of King David, it's true of every one of us. And you see, this state that David was speaking of, it's really this this hole that every one of us has. This, I I love this term, but this God-shaped vacuum. This empty spot in every one of us that can only be filled with a relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus Christ and what he did for us. Christmas, this time of year, is not about just a baby, but it's about a savior. And it's actually about a rescue. It's not just about, and see this, this is where it's so important to understand the whole picture of the story of God. It's not just about this baby coming in a manger, but it's about this rescue. When we celebrate this December 25th, we're not just celebrating this cute, cuddly baby, this religious icon. We're celebrating, we're declaring the arrival of God's rescuer for all of humanity. As we wrap up, I want to look at the, the, the third chapter we're going to look at tonight. It's chapter 5 of the story of God. And it's the story of the rescue. It's the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. And it constitutes the totality of God's rescue for human society. Christ's substitutionary, so paying the price 
his death. Someone dying in the place of the guilty one ultimately provides every human being with the possibility of being rescued from the consequences of sin in three ways. Being rescued from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. And it, and it, and it brings with it this promise of eternal life, of heaven, a place without sin, an eternal dwelling characterized by the fullness of God's presence. Christianity, I would suggest this for your thinking. Christianity is not characterized best as a religion, but as a rescue. This following of Christ, this Christ followers group that we're part of, is actually part of a rescue. It's actually funny. I had this dream years ago, and it's, I, I can't even picture the spot where I was at. I can't. I can't remember where I was at. But I had this dream of rescue stations. This picture of the church being these rescue stations. I don't know if you're familiar, but in the uh, early 1900s, all along the east coast of the United States, more specifically, um, they had these rescue stations. And there's these men and women that they were kind of like the, the sort of first coast guard. But these guys were fearless. Like... They, they would go out into the worst, biggest, most crazy storms to, to save people who were dying. And they had these rescue stations and these life savers, life saving people that would like, kind of do anything it took to save people. And I had this picture, I, like literally it was a dream that God gave me. I, I goosebumps up my arms of the church being this rescue station. We're not supposed to be cozy, comfortable Christian club. We are called and part of a rescue society that is going to be willing to go into the darkest, hardest, most broken places with the truth and the plan of Jesus. Not the plan of the church not the plan of a great group of people that get together, but the plan of Jesus. The rescue plan. Him. He's it. Jesus came to rescue humanity from this lost condition. <coughs> In Romans verses 1-16 it says this, It's news I'm most proud to proclaim this extraordinary message of God's powerful plan to rescue through Jesus everyone who trusts him. In Galatians 1.3 it says, Jesus Christ rescued us from this evil world we're in by offering himself as a sacrifice for our sins. God's plan is that we all experience that rescue. And my question for you this evening is simply this. Have you experienced this rescue? Have you confessed your sins, believed on his name, and accepted him as your Lord? As we're encouraged in John 1.12. To believe on his name and accept him as Lord. In John 1.12, we see that some people accepted him oops, sorry, and put their faith in him. So he gave them the right to be the children of God as we were singing tonight. 
God has a rescue plan. The story of Christmas isn't just the story of a baby, a cute, cuddly baby that comes to earth. Yes, that's how, that is the story and it's what we're celebrating. It's the birth of Jesus. But it's more than that. It's the story of a rescuer. It's the story of a rescue plan. And it's the story of a God who sees you, knows you right where you're at and extends his hand to you and says, here I am. And he invites us to accept that. And he invites our neighbors to accept that. And he invites our friends to accept that. And he invites those around us to accept this rescue plan that only comes through Jesus Christ. I'm going to do, we're, we often do um, a Q&A, and just as I wrap up tonight, um, we're going to do something a little bit different. I, I'm actually going to play a song for you. And uh, what I want to invite you to do tonight is something simply this. So um, it's a simple song called Rescue. And I just want to invite you just to, to do this. So uh, just to listen. It's actually a song that comes from um, God's perspective and how he speaks and talks and looks at you. And I just want you to, to you, you can sing it if you want or if, do what you want. But I just want to invite you just to take a moment as we re- reflect on what we're, we've been talking about, this rescue plan. Just to, to, to kind of take in this rescuer and what he speaks over you tonight. Is that cool? So, um, let's, uh, Jared, Jared, if you want to jump on there. And again, as I, uh, as I play this, I just want to invite you, if you want to close your eyes and just listen, if you want to read through the words as we do it. Just recognize this rescuer. Oh, God. 
encourage you again next week as we gather together. Um, if you haven't responded yet, if you're interested in coming and being part of that, again, as Danielle said, there's no pressure to bring anything, but if you are going to bring a dish, if you just let us know on Facebook or however else you can tell me tonight or whatever, and uh, we'd love to have you here. It's a great opportunity to bring friends, 
bring people far from God and uh, just in, you know, be part of the church, be part of the community. So <coughs> we'll have our dinner in here. We're going to set all our tables and have a great time together. Uh, playing some games, laughing, hearing the true story of Christmas. And, uh, and then giving as well and packing some baskets. Again, if you haven't picked up um, just some of the tags, uh, thank you again. We, I mean, we emptied the whole rack last week, but there's some more stuff. So if you haven't grabbed something yet, I know there's a couple of people that weren't here or what have you. Uh, feel free to grab one or two items, and we'd love to do that. Bring, bring everything with you next week when we come as well, and we'll fill all the baskets next week. Um, one of the things that we have, which is really cool, um, this is all for the apartment building that we help manage, uh, all low-income housing. Uh, but the society has actually also pitched in $100 gift cards for every tenant as well. So not only are we going to give them this big basket of food, but another $100 gift card as well. I just really want to, uh, the word I used last week is this extreme generosity, this extravagant generosity. So thanks again for being here. Thanks for leaning in with us, and I uh, pray that you have a great night. Don't forget your kids. <laughs> thanks, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> on, on purpose, don't forget your kids. <laughs> 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 <laughs>